Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stuff Said with Greg Shegel. I am Greg Shegel. I am a cartoonist and I talk to people in the world of comics, cartooning, and beyond. Today's show, I'm talking to Jim Dimonakos. Uh, this is a part one of two because one thing I can say about Jim and myself, we are talkers. There's no question about it, as you will see. Who is Jim Demonakos? Jim Demonakos is probably, if he's known for one thing in particular, he is the organizer of the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, Washington, which, strictly by coincidence, is coming up March 30th to April 1st of 2012. And I know I don't uh, like to necessarily put a timestamp on these things, but I thought it was relevant because he's the guest. It's his convention, and and yeah, why not mention it? Plus, I'm gonna be there. Yeah, I'm gonna be at the show. Uh, more on that, maybe after after the conversation I have with Jim, or at least part one of that conversation. We talk in this first half about the convention, about his his early uh, how he became a convention organizer. I do this every time. Every time I start to explain what I'm going to talk about instead of just letting letting it happen. So, here it comes. Part one of my talk with Jim Dimonakos. Oh, 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 and stay tuned because, you know, I mentioned that there should be like a contest of some kind. I've come up with a contest. More on that after part one with Jim Dimonakos. I want to live. Before we sat down, Chris, Russo, and Brand when we were both are just like, you guys are going to record for hours. <laughs> like the two why, of you. Why would you say that? Chris literally said, you should do a thing where just every month there's another gym episode <laughs> for like five months. <laughs> so we're going to try and so, keep things tighter. So, Part six of our 10-part series yeah. with Jim Demonakos. Jim Demonakos is the proper pronunciation. Demonakos. Right? Correct. Proper Greek pronunciation? If it's proper Greek pronunciation, it's uh, Demonakos. Really? Because there's no there's no hard D. and There's no D in the Greek alphabet. There's a delta. But a delta is delta. It's like a TH sound. So technically, my last name is Demonakos. Holy but mode. that is... Uh, as we Americanfied it, as it were, American, I no, I Americanized it. I think Americanfied it is. Okay, I, I was pretty sure that was a word. This is why I'm so great with words with friends. Well, Let's go with Jim, which right. just makes it easier for we'll everyone. call you Jim. All right. I probably won't say your name that many more times after <laughs> this. Okay. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Kirby Crackle that much, but we're going to start at Kirby Crackle. Okay. At the end of Superpowered Love is a song... Called World Full of Heroes. I want to live in a world full of heroes. Correct. That's the Jim Dimonakos theme song. I I would I would not argue too uh, mostly strongly against there's that. A, there's a line in the song, but I want to live in a world full of heroes, not making all these euros. Yes, that my parent. So if you want to know something hilarious about that song, is that that line was actually written by Kyle. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but he knows me so well. 
And in our many discussions about growing up being a restaurant kid and, of course, my innate Greekness, that was that was definitely something where as soon as I heard that line, I'm like, that's a genius. So that's where we're going to start. Okay. Because I get the impression that you were that kid who, at an early age, had this idea, of, like, a very self-possessed. Is that accurate? Yeah. Self-absorbed? Yes. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Because when I first got to know you through Chris Giruso and you were running Savage Dragon fan site, yes. did you have the store at the same time or that had that not manifest? By that time, yes. Okay. And so, and by that time, I'd actually switched it from, I had gotten from the fan site and had turned it into the, and Eric had asked me to, uh, Eric Larson, creator of Savage yeah. Dragon, um, he had asked me to make the official website so by that point i had gone from the fan site and had turned it into the official savagedragon.com okay so let's track back okay i don't know which one came first the fan site or the, the fan store site. the fan site so i started the fan site in 95 uh when i was my first year of college okay so so at that point 95 dragon had been around four years three three years it launched so in you 92 right there and the internet was still fairly green the internet was was pretty fresh as okay. it were because the my impetus for creating the Savage Dragon website was there was there was no Savage Dragon website uh, <laughs> official or unofficial there yeah. was no there was nothing kind of no presence and at that point guys like Eric who now are very prolific online he's got a very active Twitter yeah. and you know you can find him on a very easy to find as a presence as a creator and this is actually something that can be said for many creators that they're very easily accessible to the general public. That was not the case in 95, especially for the image guys who were still rock stars and continue to be. I started the fan site because there was no, I think there was only a spawn.com because Todd was on it. Todd was on it pretty, pretty early. I think there was a wildstorm.com as well, but I want to say there was also top cow. They started pretty early. No one else though, pretty much from the rest of the crew. And there was, of course, an image website, but it was very, a very basic kind of placeholder. Like, oh, hey, we're Image Comics, and we, we make comics. But there was no Savage Dragon website, which was my favorite comic. And so since I had an interest in web design, I'd created a, a number of other fan sites for awesome characters like Gambit and Iceman. All right. And because I had done that, I would really like to do something of my actual favorite comic, and that was Savage Dragon. So I... I sat in the the computer labs at the University of Washington, and I scanned every cover. Now, luckily, by that point, there was not, however, we're at like 170 right now. So yeah, st starting a Savage like Dragon that. website now would be a, a much larger undertaking. Except at that, that point. somebody has surely scanned them all, so you would just grab their JPEG. True, true. At this point, yes. Yeah. I, I could start any any fan site, and I think I would be okay. Yeah. So I created a, so I created the site. It was called very very easily named the Jim's unofficial Savage Dragon website. Oh, that rolls off the tongue. It, yeah, it was very very, <laughs> which later turned into uh, Fin World. Okay. So at that point, I had switched from the University of Washington to the uh, Art Institute of Seattle to finish off my degree in computer animation which clearly is what I've done with my degree. Pretty much the best thing that I came out of the Art Institute, honestly, was I made two lifelong friends, one being Adi Granov, 
uh, who worked on Iron Man, and uh, my other buddy Matt, who got married like a few weeks ago. When I yeah, you know what I mean. And, and so it was, it was great. Anyway, that was that was it. But since I was working in 3D, I decided to model a world, a globe, and put a Savage Dragon fin ah. onto the globe. Thus, Fin World Naturally. was born. Much also rolled off the tongue much much better. Then unofficial Savage Dragon website. Yes. Did I get it right? Yes. <laughs> if nothing else, it's memorable. Five minutes, you know, four seconds later. <laughs> Correct. You're like, huh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not forgetting that. So Finn World, at, at some point during that time, Eric uh, had gotten online through his uh, brother-in-law's computer. And because he, he himself was just not online. Yeah. And he sent me an email from his brother-in-law and he gave me some news to put on the website and also to Fin Addicts Online. Fin Addicts is the name of the letters column for Savage Dragon. Okay. And so since I created a, a fan group, which originally was called um, SDOFC, the Savage Dragon Online Fan Club. Look, I got better, You've okay? gotten much better <laughs> coming up with names of things. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you got to start somewhere, yeah. right? We yeah, all, yeah. all got to start somewhere. And eventually that became Fin Addicts Online. So the FAO. Okay. And, um, so he sent an email, and, and thus I was able to share this news with the Thin Addicts online uh, group. He said that if I wanted to write him back to his brother-in-law's email, his brother-in-law would print out the response and fax it to him. Wow. So, <laughs> which I, I thought was a, kind of un, unnecessarily complicated. If I guess his brother-in-law could have just called him up and be like, hey, that dude wrote you. And I guess he imagined I, you'd be writing more than – Five sentences. Yeah, well, I, I I did keep it curt because especially at that time I had very little interaction with comics pros, and mm-hmm. well before I became friends with Eric, this it was like, oh my god, oh my god, I got an email from Eric Larson. You're a fan. I'm a super fan. Yeah, I'm I'm flipping out. Yeah. Right. So I tried to be like, okay, okay, don't sound like an idiot. Dear Eric, <laughs> I love. Okay, no, we're good. You know, so I, yeah. I wrote. I don't remember what I wrote. Obviously, I tried to keep it very short. But you know, eventually, in the nineteen ninety eight ninety nine time range, um, he asked if I would. He got online, got an email address, uh, dropped me a line, asked me if I would create an official savagedragon dot com for him, mm-hmm. which I did, and I and to this day actually still currently maintain. Really? Yep. That's awesome. And so I, I didn't know op- you were still doing that. Yeah. It's like, so once a month when, or whenever a new issue comes out, I go to the Savage Dragon website and update it. Also, we still run, my, my store runs the online Savage Dragon store. So if you order comics from SavageDragon.com, they're fulfilled by the comic stop, which is my store. Let's bounce to the comic stop, which I started in 2000. So that was a couple of years. So a okay, couple so years like later, four so. or five years after the fact. Correct. Now, I've always been curious about how people start a comic store. Because as a as a young man, me and my older brother were buying comics. We still have boxes of comics, and there was this notion of like, hey, maybe one day we'll open a store with all these comics. Sure. These comics are all still in storage right now. So how do you make the leap from guy buying and reading comics? And it was it was you and your brother. Right? Correct. Similar. Yep. You and your brother. Must have been buying comics for a while. Obviously, uh, your fans. Pretty much started reading comics in 84 and never stopped. Like when I was seven years old. So when do you make that – when do you make the leap to saying, we got a lot of comics. We want to now sell these things. And, and how does that 
How does that leap happen? So funny enough, that was never the leap for us, at least. Okay. I never thought like, man, do I have a lot of comics? I want to get rid of them. Quite, quite the opposite is I didn't want to get rid of my comics. And they ended up being a necessary sacrifice for opening a comic book store. Huh. So what happened was that I, I would shop at a number of stores. So let me, let me backtrack for a sure. minute. I grew up in a restaurant household. And by that, I mean my parents were restaurateurs. Growing up, classic Greek immigrant story. They came over here. They opened a restaurant, and that is what they did for, for their entire entire career. So they retired was restaurants. And so I grew up as a restaurant kid. I grew up from an early age being really comfortable with entrepreneurship and being your own boss. So now fast forward back to spending all these years buying comics. When I was too young to drive, I would subject my poor parents like, okay, so we need to go to Bigfoot's because they have good comics, but then we have to go to Everett Comics because they have the T-shirts, and we have to go to this store because they have statues, and this store, you know what I mean? They, yeah. There was not a good all-in-one store to me. Mm-hmm. I went to college and, like I said, graduated with a degree in computer animation, which I promptly did nothing with. Well, you couldn't um, major in comic shop opening. You know, I guess that is. I guess I guess that's true. Yeah. Although, had they offered it, I would have been sorely tempted. <laughs> and so, what I did is, so I kept I kept buying comics, and obviously, I got old enough to just be able to drive myself to all these stores. At a certain point, I I was working as a web designer after I graduated, doing all all kinds of websites, and the pay because this was during the dot com boom was great. It started off not great and continued to get better until I was making very good money creating websites. At the same time, I was still buying comics and I was still, you know, traveling around to multiple stores to, to buy to buy my books yeah. or get whatever I wanted. And so at a certain point, I'm like, you know, I don't understand why there can't be one store that carries all the stuff I want. Yeah. And I would... I would sit around with my friends and talk about it. Man, this really sucks because they also had the same dilemma. And occasionally we would all trek together to four different stores, you know, or whatnot. And eventually I was I was like, why don't – I was talking to my brother. I'm like, well, why don't we just open our own comic book store? I know we could do it better. Yeah. You know, it's not brain surgery. If we just have all this stuff, like we could – I'm sure we could do fine. And the more we talked about it, the more it sounded like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I understand that completely. Right? And so then we started to seriously look at the costs. And what happened is there's a gentleman named Brian who worked at one of the comic book stores that we shopped at. And we liked Brian. He was our comic shop guy for a long time. He wasn't the owner. He was an employee. Right. But he was our guy. He was the guy, you know, that we'd known. We actually followed him from a couple stores. He was at a store that burned down. There was a fire at this at the place next door, and it oh. also like a store full of paper. Turns out is uh, goes quite flammable. Like a, goes up like a store full of paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when that when that, he got a job at a different shop, and we basically and, and they the company the, the the one store was called Delight Collectibles. 
they very memorable because they also had a full size alien uh, replica in in the store. It was always a very prominent prominent feature of the store. The guy had um, a lot of movie kind of collectibles, okay. as well as as comics. So we we followed Brian to the new store where this new store also took over all the old delight customers. So it's like, Hey, we're basically taking over the boxes. If you'd like to come mm-hmm. shop here, that'd like be a great. Pharmacy taking over prescription. Correct. Correct. That's like, we will, we will fulfill your crack. It all goes uh, back to the <laughs> comic comics as a drug habit. Yes. Uh, and it completely Metaphor. is. And yeah. we, the delight couldn't have been more convenient and Bigfoot's, which was the place we moved to was, not very convenient and yet that's where you go that is where that's where the crack is to be found yeah. so we started talking with brian and we're like so we have this idea of maybe opening a comic book store like how interested would you be in like basically coming in with us and opening the store like we think we know enough but with your expertise on things like ordering he knew the the software the ordering software which was comtrack a, a dos based program we to be honest, we used Comtrack up until I don't know six months ago. Wow, still DOS based, but it did its job and it did it very well. But the guy never really made the leap to the Windows, and uh, thus, you know, we're now on a on a software suite called Moby, which is also a POS system, a point of sale, yep. so that you could do it. We have scanners now. And- okay, so you're doing UPC codes. Correct. And so definitely helps in inventory control. So it's, it prevents us from having to do manual cycling, you know, so it's all, it has, it has many advantages. Yeah. So, and so we talked to Brian and he said, yeah, I would be totally interested. So we, we started talking and figured out the logistics, uh, got our, got our dollars together, took a bit of a loan and uh, opened the comic stop in March of 2000. And so that is that is where I opened my first comic book store. And now Comic Stuff has how many stores? Four. We're Pretty the good. we're the uh, we're the largest chain in the uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And not to sound like um, morbid or or whatever, but <laughs> how many stores did you take out? <laughs> um, one. Just one. And and how many? Okay, then also in that time, how many stores? Died of their own volition. Oh man! Okay, <laughs> so you only like like I I will directly attribute us opening to taking out to one taking store. out one store to, to you know to be more than fair, right? And it was actually Brian's old store. Okay, because what happened is much like we traveled with Brian when he moved, he had a hugely loyal base of customers who were like, and we basically got location, 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 right? One of the one of the reasons that we decided to open is because where Delight used to be in that area was called Linwood. It was right across the street from a very large mall called the Aldwood Mall. We opened on the other side of the mall, still in a strip mall across from, but we knew that that area heavily trafficked in retail, but also was far enough away from the north. The, the, the closest comic book store north was like 10 miles away. The closest comic book store south was another – was at least four miles away, which not super far. But also it just served a nice niche, and it was a ve- it's a very big population center. Was there a school nearby? Linwood High School was next door. Right. Like <laughs> n- next, and so it had everything that you, you could kind of want. Mm-hmm. 
So after school, we'd get a, a nice, like, just kind of walking, uh, walking yeah, traffic. Like a 3 p.m. rush. Yep. There was a Mervyn's. Uh, so there's a nice big box store in the strip mall, mm-hmm. even though we were across the street from the mall. So it was a great location. I mean, we uh, we couldn't have been luckier. And you were purposely set up to not just be a comic store. You had right. other things. Yes. Not only do we have all the comic stuff that I wanted, comics, statues, T-shirts, you know, trades, you name it. That was another thing that one, like one of the stores that I would go to would refuse to carry trades. <laughs> just like anti-trade paperback. A- anyway, but we also carried a lot of collectible card games. You know, we rode all the waves. Because, you know, take advantage of of the trends. You know, if, if your customers want Pokemon cards, you carry Pokemon cards. But we don't have to then be one of those stores that carry singles. You know what I mean? Like, there's certain levels. Yep. I'll carry packs, but I'm not interested in getting into the Pokemon trade, as it were. But because my customers and, my, and the kids who are shopping there wanted Pokemon cards, we made sure to carry Pokemon cards. We carried uh, – we've carried Magic cards for years. When it was a when it was a thing, we carried Yu-Gi-Oh cards, the Hero Clicks, the all the other all the periphery stuff, as well as merchandise that gets you a larger base than just guys who are there to pick up comics. I don't know if it's the natural progression, but the next progression for you must open a second store. Well, yes, <laughs> but the store eventually begat the convention. Correct, and the convention. This this could be a longer conversation, longer discussion. So let's just go into it. Sure. Um, it's the Emerald City Comic Con. It's been going for how many it. years now? Uh, ten years now. This, so will, this will be year ten. So coming up, it, it's our tenth anniversary because you don't count your so first let's show. Two as years, years after so. you opened the store. Correct. Our first show was two thousand three. Actually, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I know stores. I know people that run stores, and they've had they've been running the store for years. Mm-hmm. And there's a notion maybe we'll do a convention. I didn't realize that that was actually a thing where a store would be get a convention, but apparently that's a thing. Well, it is and it isn't, right? So, again, this is one of those no one can take the path I took because every it, it's such everyone has a specific path of how they get into comics or how they yeah. did how they did the thing, and mine is just as circuitous and odd as anyone else's. So we opened our second store in two thousand two, and I'll be perfectly frank by that point i had gotten a little a little tired of retail within three years within a couple years to me it was a lot of fun and my favorite part was uh talking surprisingly with the customers sounds like jim (laughs) i loved like wednesdays like i would like live for wednesday you know what I mean? It yeah. was it was so awesome to, to come in, like, and the customers and the regulars and the conversations I had. I've actually met some some of my like best friends now. I've met through the comic book store, but I was also I think I think it was a combination of things. I, I worked for two straight years without a day off, you know, yeah. and that and that becomes very very wary. Or wearing, you know, wearing, yeah. And so after two years, I was very, I was sort of like, man, I think I'm done with the comic book store. Like, I can't, I can't do like, it. Like, I left the restaurant business. Yeah. Oh, and, my, and this is a, a kind of a side conversation. My parents were like, 
we want you to go to college to do something better than be stuck in the restaurant. <laughs> and I'm like, I did. I, yeah. I I went to college so I could get stuck in a comic book store. Yeah, you're Aww. still working every day, all the time. Literally. And never taking a break, never taking a – But there's something – that's that's just entrepreneurial shit. Of course. And no that's the thing. The there is no complaint, but that doesn't nec- that right. doesn't mean that, you know – It's just the reality. Uh, it's just the reality is after a while you're like, poof, I'm, I'm exhausted. You Eventually know? everything becomes a job. Correct. Yeah. You know? And so I had thought about maybe quitting in, in, in as much as I'd be like, hey, George and Brian, do you want to maybe take on way more time? And so I'm going to just step back and maybe do something else. And George is your brother. We haven't George, mentioned Sorry. Yeah, name. George is my brother. At the, t- at the time, I had also – around 2000, I also started traveling to conventions because, again, I'm still a fanboy. I'm still a comic book fan and currently am. So I would love going to cons. And so I started going to these shows and started making friends. And I think this is when – this is about the time where I met Chris and also begat Greg. Yes. So that that is me going to shows to just go to shows with no agenda. It is, it's not as though – I didn't have the idea for the con in my head. I also didn't retail as the comic stop at – shows like we didn't set up i just had my retail stores we didn't exhibit at cons i just went for fun i went for sketches i'm a big art guy i went to just have a good time and go to panels and just enjoy a convention as you know as it is so i started making friends i got to know eric larson as i mentioned more and more thanks to that and started to know all these other guys and this becomes relevant shortly as I would go back to Seattle, and we had a very small show called the Seattle Commie Card Convention. C O M I C A R D. It sounds like I did, but yeah. I did not. I'd been going to that show for as long as I could remember. It, it was that staple, what I like to call a long box show. Right. Three, five guests. Some people call it like a church basement show. That's exactly yeah. correct. Correct. So I would, I would do that show and i did it for years it was awesome it was the first time i met like mike weiringo and so many great creators who came through i like got mike but i mean it was a, it was it was great he always had the He's staples a great creator he is a great creator so it's acceptable that you yeah. use that name i uh i got he, he was one of the the very first sketches i ever got actually the very first sketch i ever got just because you asked yeah i did was death this the sandman yeah. uh, endless death from richard case Huh. Who I had met that very same convention, they because uh, Richard Case was inking yeah. my query on Spider Man, on Spider Man, and so I asked Richard Case for a sketch with no qualifier. At this point, I had not really read Sandman, and I got a death sketch, and I'm like, "Well, this chick's pretty cool looking, but I have no idea what this is." Right. And right. I'm like, "What is this?" <laughs> and he's like, "It's Death from Sandman." And I mean, I'm not really sure at this point how old I am. But you're out of college, so you're at least in no, no, 20s. no. We're no. We're oh, talking, oh, this is oh, this yeah, is like you sorry, know. Sorry, growing up in Seattle, this is a. I'm uh, scrambled. It's okay. I apologize. No, this is all maybe 1988. All getting cut. 90. I was done. <laughs> 1988, 87. Okay. So, uh, around this time, roughly, you know. And actually, that that gave me the impetus to go read Sandman. But then next to him was Mike Wieringo, and I got a Spider-Man headshot sketch. Anyway, so they were great, great fun shows. Kind of sparsely attended, which also let you have good interaction with the creators. I had long talks. I had a uh, great talk with uh, Carl Kiesel, 
whether Ralph Macchio from Marvel was in fact the, the Ralph Macchio kid. from the Karate Kid. To which Carl Kiesel told me he's he's not sure. <laughs> he and he might have just been messing with me because I was a kid. And at the same time, it's like you know I I don't really know. I, I've never met him. I've only talked to him on the phone. So who knows? They have different voices. But I'm but just saying. Just to to mirror you, when I started working at Marvel. That was the most fun was talking to the creators on the phone, being on the phone. And I would be on the phone with Michael Ringo and Rich Case for hours. They didn't do any work for me. <laughs> we were just – I actually – Rich worked on a Nighthawk miniseries with us. But I would just call them up. Even when I left Marvel, I would call them up when I was at Nickelodeon just to chat. Yeah. They were awesome. They're great I guys. Mean, super great guys. And Mike's work is a huge influence on my work. It's Especially if you go back to that era, yeah. I was locked in, on board. <laughs> no, it's great, and and I was very lucky to to call Mike a friend. Yes. Uh, by the time he passed, he was it's a great guy. I had a since we're talking about art and sketches, sure. I had a fantastic horse sketchbook for a very long time. I would take this one sketchbook mm-hmm. uh, to shows, and the last sketch in there was from Mike, and he did the Watcher, which is very appropriate, and. He did that sketch, and that was the last show I saw him at. And I hadn't gotten really to another show with the sketchbook. And um, after he passed, it seemed like just a, a very fitting kind of end sketch yeah. to the. And that's when I sort of closed the Fantastic Four sketchbook, and I have huh. not have not really, you know, gotten another sketch in. Or how close you know, to the end of that sketchbook were you? Pretty close. I have a lot of sketches. I believe it. Yeah. So it's interesting because you sort of you sort of move levels. You know, I went from being fanboy to at a certain point I was running the convention. Mm-hmm. And so then asking for sketches became weird because, sure. because then I'm not – I don't want to feel – I don't want someone to feel obligated because they're like, oh, this guy invites me out to the show and all he wants me to do is draw in his damn sketchbook. Right. Right. You don't I mean, want to take advantage of your position, correct? And you yourself put yourself sh- in. Sure, right? Like the the, <laughs> and, and it, well, you know, it's that double edged sword. Yeah. And and so I I'm okay with that. But it was one of those like, man, I really love that guy's art. I would love to get a sketch. Oh, and, and it's funny because I've had a couple artists like tell me that if they were in my position, they're like, fuck it, I would I would totally ask for a sketch, but. I don't know. That's it's just me. I, I just feel uncomfortable. It's uh, funny. I, as an artist, I don't have a sketch. I don't keep a sketchbook. I don't get sketches from people. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever asked anybody for a sketch. But if somebody, if we're just hanging out, and somebody asks me for a sketch, and it's somebody I know, a shop owner, or whatever, it's it's nothing. You just do it. Right. You don't even think about it. Sure. But then there are those moments where you do have that that. I don't want to have to work. Right. It's all about timing in sure. a lot of ways. Like if, if people are just hanging out. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're sitting around drinking, having a good yeah. time, just socializing and everyone's start- bu- yeah. busting out sketches. That's a, I was up uh, at another show in Calgary a few years ago and there's a number of artists. We're all just sitting around a table chatting and there's like a, when one of the artists had brought a stack of uh, backing boards to just doodle on. Yeah. 
and every other guy at the table just grabs one and starts, you know, and they're they're like, what if we do this? And, you know, it's like, what if we, you know, what if you combine Razorback and the Scorpion, both Spider-Man villains, you know, and just, just you know what I mean? The, the kind of stuff that as an artist, you're just enjoying, you're enjoying the act of drawing without any impetus on yes. you. You know, it's just, man, I am, I am just creating for fun. Yeah, I've and, had two instances, both with Eric Larson. Both of which you combined Razorback and Scorpion. That's no, just weird. But I was working on a sketch <laughs> in somebody's book. And one, it was an Avengers book. And the other one was a Justice League book. And, I, and Eric happened to be there. And I finished my sketch. He's like, oh, let me see that book. And I hand him the book. And you know, we all flip through to see who did what. Sure. And then he just goes to a random page and just drops a sketch in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hilariously, oh, Savage Dragon. No, no. In the Avengers <laughs> one, it was the Hulk. And in the Justice League, it was Batman, I think. But okay. He literally just picks a random page later in the book. Right. So this this guy this, at, some, at point, some point is going to find a Larson sketch in their sketchbook. That's to the theme. Sure. But it's just in there. That's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. And and you know, as far as I know, at some point I remember Larson like was only doing dragon headshots. Sure. And now sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But just by virtue of us sitting around shooting the crap. Let me see that book and boom. Because it it, in a way, it's no big deal for yeah. him to do it while, while even just while chatting. He doesn't have to be like, all right, quiet. Yeah. I need to concentrate. He's it's a non-pressure he's situation. Cha- he, yes. He's chatting. He's doing it. And that's, right. and that's the, it, it's great. And so I've gotten sketches in my book. I got sketches in the Fantastic Four book very early on in the Emerald City Comic Con because when it was small enough where all the guys who were guests would fit at one big table at the Pyramid Ale House, which is where I took everyone after the show. It would be like, hey, this is back, you know, pretty early on, year two, year three. I have David Finch just sitting around, and he's like, yeah, here, let, let me draw in there. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then there's like a full pay, you know, Dr. Doom now in my Fantastic Four book because yeah. he just wanted to grab the book and have a good time. Because not not only did I not ask, but everyone was just there really enjoying themselves post-show, having a good time. There's, you know, great food and beer, and everyone is just enjoying each other's company. And it, and he didn't sit quietly in the corner and draw. He's carousing and laughing and having a good time, as, as you should when you're hanging out with your friends. And I will say, I think there's something, as a, as a, as a comic artist myself, I think there's something that we do where we're just like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something in here. I'm going <laughs> to blow this kid's mind or whatever it is. Sure. You want to just seeing somebody get psyched about a sketch is awesome. Yeah. It's something they didn't ask for. Like just, it's such an easy, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to make the whole sketch process seem much less impressive. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. Just draw, it, you're drawing a figure. There's no background. There's no storytelling. You don't have to really you're drawing a figure. That's what we all do. Yeah. And to people that don't do it, it looks like magic. Sure. Not it's I I, no, I understand <laughs> you know I mean? exactly what so you're saying. There's a little bit of an I think there's a little bit of a, a personal on some level ego stroke, especially in that instance. And I've done it too, where you just say, Give me your book and you draw something right there, as opposed to what Larson did, which is like this secretive Sure. You know, yeah, like that thing. that guy at some point is going to have his mind blown because he didn't But know. Larson won't be there to see it. Right. As opposed to being here and saying, Jim, give me your book. Boom, Boom and dropping right. a you know 
a beast on you and just handing it back. Sure. Go, That's for you. Like you're Sinatra. Here, <laughs> hey, buddy. Yeah. Hey, buddy, this, this is just for you. Yeah, this one's on the house, pal. <laughs> the the entire thing is was always so much fun. And speaking of Eric, he was when I decided to start my Fantastic Four book, not super I asked I asked Eric and he does a double page spread on the second and third page yeah. of the Fantastic Four, which immediately puts pressure on everybody else who follows up. Yes. Which was a good thing and also a bad thing where I very distinctly remember Jeff Darrow refusing to sketch in my book because <laughs> he's like, I no, no, too much pressure. I was like, whoa, okay. So yeah. I was like, I'm like, I would be happy with a moloid. Let's like just just <laughs> Yeah, just any doodle. Just any, anything. Come the on. Invisible woman. Yeah. Invisible. invisible. That's fine. I did get an invisible woman sketch from Alan Davis where he was at a con, never had time to do the sketch, and gave me a signed blank piece of paper and was like, I owe you an invisible woman sketch. But currently all I have is basically a piece of Bristol with Alan Davis's. <laughs> That's an easy joke, <laughs> but it works. So I had started traveling to all these conventions and so I would go back to Seattle. And again, there's these, these shows were really fun, but they were not, you know, once you've gone to a San Diego, a wizard, Chicago back in the day, mm-hmm. any, any of these shows, a WonderCon, and you come back cause WonderCon was kind of my staple. It was just down the, down the coast. Pretty easy to get to. This is when it was still at the, at the Marriott in Oakland, which, you, which means you could stay anywhere. And the BART station was actually right outside of, the the Marriott so you could you know get there very very easily and I sort of came back and was was like why can't why can't we have a show like that up here why why can't we and I would talk to and of course like I said I've been to every one of these little shows and I would talk to all the dealers there and they'd always bitch about that show because you know there wasn't a lot of attendance but it was also the only game in town. So, of course, they set up there. And I started thinking, like, you know, having now talked to enough of the – and now as a fellow shop owner, because most of these dealers are just other shops who are yeah. set up there, of course. I, I would know these guys, and I would talk to them. And most of them would say, you know, if there's another show, I would go in a heartbeat, you know. So I started thinking about it and decided – you know, maybe I should try to put on a show here. How hard could it be? Which is how I pitched it to George <laughs> and Brian. I was like, hey, guys, so I have this idea. I want to do a con. I mean, how hard could it be? Yeah. And the reason I know this is because they've never let me live those words down. <laughs> but it's not hard. That's the thing. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But it's not hard. Because in my mind... In a very simplistic point of view, I'm like, okay, here's what you need to have a con. You need some dealers. You need some artists. You need a few guests. A couple of panels. You're good. And a place to put them. Yeah. And that's sort of how, that's the, that's the birth of the Emerald City Comic Con. So after I actually decided that, yes, this is what I want to do, I started looking at venues. Now, this show, the Comic Card Convention, was at the Seattle Center, which is, uh, for the people who don't know, it's basically where the Space Needle is, the area around it is called Seattle Center. And it's got all these little rooms, all these little 
very small. I mean, if I had to guess, we're talking 2,500 to 3,000 square feet each. And they, they called them the Northwest Room. So this show would take up like three of those rooms, so like 9,000. So I started looking at venues, and I was like, well, Northwest Rooms are kind of perfect because, of course, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. But because of a non-compete clause, which makes sense, they wouldn't let me do a con there. And I was fine with that. Actually, let me backtrack for a moment. By all means. Early on, I had approached the guy who ran the comedy card convention and asked him, listen, I've made a lot of contacts in the industry, guys who've never been to Seattle before. I think it would be great to partner up and help take the comedy card convention to a new level. And he was not interested, which in retrospect, I'm very thankful for. But... At the time, I was like, man, a douche, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because that's how, you know, I, I like I'm coming with sort of open arms and like I'm ready to do, I guess technically the con has, like you talked about stores. My convention did take out another convention. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do it on my own. Because also, you know, let's face it, when you're starting from scratch, it's much more difficult. I was like, this guy has a Rolodex of both creators. You know, he had Mike Turner there one time, and, you know, obviously a, a huge number of creators had passed through this show, and then there was all the dealers and all the stuff. So I went to his show and talked to all the dealers I already knew, right, right. because we were all retailers. Yeah. So I, I really – I just sort of was – floated the idea. Okay, guys, if I did a show, what do you think? And they're like, sure. And one guy I remember distinctly said – like I've been bitching about this show for so long that I can't not set up at your show because otherwise you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. So I was like, well, if that's what's going to get you to sign up for my show, I'm okay with that. And so I started looking at venues and I ended up at the Westfield Plaza, which basically where the Seahawks play It's called Quest Field. Now it's called Century League Field, but it was at Quest Field and under the bleachers was an area where they had a, a, a big retail area where they had the team store, but also just a very open, it was like a, it was a, it was a banana shaped because think of a stadium. It's under the right. bleachers as it were. Other um, seats on a curve, 60,000 square feet. So it's a pretty large venue, but because of its configuration, there's a lot of dead space on both sides. A lot of, a lot of poles, a lot of little nooks and crannies. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't 60,000 usable feet, but it was still a, a good size. So I decided to rent that. And I'm plenty of parking if it's at a stadium. Correct. Not only in the stadium parking lot itself, but also just in the periphery. Mm-hmm. So that was nice too. So I signed a contract and picked a date, February 9th, 2003. And I started talking to all these dealers. We came up with a price. that I, I tried to do some math, which I'm not saying is my, my strongest suit. But I, I basically figured out, all right, well, it's going to cost us this much to rent. And then I looked at the prices of the of the other show and sort of, okay, we're going to make it a little more expensive, but like by 25 bucks. So I think a table at the other show was $75. And for us, it was 100 And in theory, you have the promise of more traffic Correct. and a better show. Yes. And I was like, I'm going to do a lot to make sure that we we make this something great so after i decided to do it my first call was actually to eric larson 
that I knew the best. And he actually, going backwards to 2000, when we opened the store a couple months in, I decided to do my first store signing. And Eric came up and did our first store signing, which was great. It got, got nice traffic, got people to know about the comic stop. I feel like that's that's the through line of a store becoming a convention, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would imagine that's – I haven't spoken to Shelton Drum, but I feel like that's probably the path that – From heroes, heroes to, yeah. To become I, heroes. I, I, I imagine that that's probably correct, yeah. you know, and I don't I – don't, also, also don't know. But I wonder if the same would go for Mark over at uh, – in Baltimore. Uh, right. From his store, from store signing to store signing to – well, isn't – this isn't really, you know, a convention is sort of a store signing on a macro scale. You have a guy signing in the back. Yes. You have retail happening around. That's a convention. Like, yeah, I the mean, panels, this past year, 2011, for free comic book day, I went down to Acme Comics in Greensboro, and they had 15, 16 creators there. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's not a signing. I mean, at that point, it's, it's, it's a mini con. Yeah, it's a mini con. Sure. Again, in that sort of notion of how do you make the leap from comic buyer to comic store right. owner. I'm just sort of examining the leap from yeah, comic, from comic shop store guy owner. And yeah, and like I said, for guy. me, you know, at the at, at its base is just a dissatisfaction with not having a convention in town that I felt would represent Seattle. So I'm gonna take a quick jump. Sure. The less of the logistics of building a con, yeah. which is interesting. And I know people are gonna be listening saying like but 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 <laughs> How did they go from the stadium to the convention center? <laughs> I'm going to answer We'll get back. That. We'll get back. But, no, tell me if I'm wrong. Right. The show kept getting bigger. You needed more space. Yes. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so ju- ju- just to kind of put a cap on yeah, yeah. So we did, we did that year one show. So I, I called Eric. Yeah. And then I called all the people that I'd managed to make friends with throughout the industry. Right. So our first show, now fast forwarding to the actual show, which gave me gray hairs, and I, I sort of mortgaged myself in terms of the, of my credit cards. I didn't own anything tax mm-hmm. I guess I owned a store, which I did mortgage before, uh, but it was credit cards to the hilt. So betting on this convention doing well enough to not bankrupt me forever, and we ended up with twenty five hundred people, which compared to the three to five that the other show had been bringing. Now the guys there, like the the guys who were exhibiting, were like, "I'm in, I'm in." Yeah. You know, like you've you've proven that you can do something. So now I am, I am in. When's this thing going to be two days? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Also, whoa. Hold now, while your you're saying whoa four times, what kind of a high is that? It's it's pretty awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, mean, I that's, you you did it. Like I, it's a you pull off the move. Yep. I. I'm pretty, uh, I was pretty happy. <laughs> I was pretty happy. And I mean, it kind of made all the work, obviously, like, you know, when it, when it all paid off and the stress and worry about, man, am I going to be screwed <laughs> for years to come paying off this ill-fated convention, you know? And luckily it went the other way. And so, you know, between the guest list, which we put together, which was good, we also did advertising, which was something the other the other convention didn't like. You know what I mean? And I'm not here to just rag on this other show because I'm not. But in in the best business sense, I looked at all the things they were not doing and filled those gaps, which made it a more complete show. And so we actually threw down a thousand dollars, 
and did a little bit of radio advertising and had them do one of those live remotes. Okay. They're like, here we are at the Emerald City Comic Con, you know, just, you know, come on down. Were I to go back in time to do it again, the only thing I would have changed is I would have moved it to Saturday instead of Sunday. Knowing what I know now in the trends of how traffic is at conventions, mm-hmm. I would have done it on Saturday as a one day instead of a Sunday. But that is that is neither here nor there, but just as, you know, you look back. and For anyone listening that's thinking of starting a convention. Saturday. You're going to do a one-day show. Do it on a Saturday. It's always the busy. Look at every convention yeah. that's multi-day. No, Saturday is the, the day that people day. have more available. Sunday is a family day. Sunday is a church day. Sunday, there's, Sunday there's work is a, the next day. There's work the next day. Sunday is a much more reserved day. While Saturday is the day you can go balls out all day because you're like, okay, I can recover on Sunday. So there you go. And then, and then you're, you're correct. You know, the show did very well. So we did another one-day show because I wasn't ready to jump to a, a two-day show quite yet. There's flukes and then there's actual growth. And I really managed the growth of the show because I didn't want to get too big for my britches in too short a time because the attendance we had was great, but that attendance was not acceptable for two days. That Mm -hmm. that attendance was acceptable for one day. And so we did one more one-day show and then we moved to a two-day show all the way from year three to year uh, eight. And then into the end year nine, 2011, we finally made it a three-day. Around year six is when we moved from to our new permanent home at the convention center where we need. Let me ask you this about conventions. Here's sure. my question about conventions. There's a lot of shows at this point. There's shows almost every month. They're, they're perennial. <laughs> and there's sort of like on the San Diego side, there's a lot of hemming and hawing by people that it's not about comics anymore, even though it's about comics still called comic con, sure. but people sort of bemoan the influence of, outside media right and then you get shows like baltimore or heroes that are very it's comics they -hmm. never bring in an actor from a sci-fi show or whatever you with emerald city sort of are balancing them Mm -hmm. but there's definitely a presence of media guests and i guess the question is sort of in a in a the philosophy of cons why you err on one direction versus another do you think it affects like i get the impression that the media guests bring attendance up correct but it might not be the greatest thing for the comics people or or do you not that, see that, that that's where that's where i think i disagree okay where by all means we've done what i think is a good job in balancing the two because what i've wanted was i wanted to have a show that is a comic book show and i've always wanted a comic book show and i continue to want a comic book show look at our show floor our show floor is 95% comics, yep. whether it's Artist Alley, exhibitors, or publishers. Yes. There's random other things. Like we have, since we're a Microsoft town, Halo has always had a booth at our show. But I have a noise ordinance that I enforce that's not actually mandated from the convention center where I can't be more than 10 feet away, one aisle over, and hear your booth. So if you go walk up to play Halo, it's just loud enough where you're standing in front of the screen to hear it. But when I walk back and away from the booth, it fades out. It fades out. Smart. And so the show itself has a hum that I like. It's got a a hum because it's people talking. It's Mm -hmm. a crowd noise. And occasionally you hear a sound or this and that. 
no one can be playing a dance game so loud that you can't have a conversation. And that's the thing about Emerald City. I want it to be a show where you, anywhere you are, you can have a conversation with the person next to you without feeling that you're like stuck in a bar where you have to yell to be heard. We try to limit our PA announcements to once an hour at most. Right. So that you're not constantly hearing PA announcements. <laughs> and then what we do is we take the media guests and they're actually now they're on a separate floor. So for you, let's say that you hate Star Trek. Not hate. You just don't care about Star now, Trek. So that, let's say I hate Star Trek. Let's let's say let's say you are indifferent to Star Trek. No, no let's say I hate it. All right, let's say you hate Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. You're just like F Star Trek. I am like F Star in, Trek. And in, in it's Spock ears. Do we want to do this like a sketch? <laughs> are we doing like a skit? No. Okay. No, I think I think we're good. But okay. just play the hypothetical. <laughs> the hypothetical. Yeah. So you come to Emerald City Comic Con, and so this year our one of our guests was William Shatner. Yes. You don't care. You're there for the comics. You're there for that. Yeah. You don't have to ever go downstairs to the media area. You don't have to worry about it. You can enjoy the entire Comic-Con without, as it were, running into the media. At the same time, the flip side is that all the people that are there for William Shatner, those people, once they're done with that, the likelihood is that they're not just going to go home. Most people hang out at a con all day. Just to see what it is. Yeah, once you're done with that. Then what we're doing is getting them to come upstairs. They're going to start looking at the booths. And maybe the guy with the Silver Age comics, which is awesome, that guy probably has no chance with the Felicia Day fan. Yeah. That's okay. But the girl selling cute charms in Artist Alley, yeah. the guy with the awesome T-shirts, those guys all have a chance with the Felicia Day fan. The, crawl, the Venn diagram crosses over. Exactly. And thus, what we're creating is an opportunity for the top floor, as it were, which is the comics floor, to then interact with the people who are there for not the top floor, while at the same time allowing the opportunity of the people who are there for the top floor to enjoy that without having to worry about the other element of the show. And so it's actually an excellent mix. And we also create, like, I work very hard to make sure that the guests we have are relevant to the people who are going to come to the show anyway. So now going back to you as a comic fan, probably likely a sci-fi fan or at least enjoy genre, which means that Star Trek slash anything that William Shatner has done, whether it's just a as a fan of pop culture between Priceline and all the other things he's done, you might be like, well, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I might pop downstairs for that. Felicia Day. So using that as an example, The Guild not only is a popular web series about gaming, but also she's an author of comics from Dark Horse. And so everyone we have, all of these people are relevant without, like, as it were, resorting to, didn't you used to be a wrestler once? Where, like, if I have to dig so deeply to figure out who you are. A cult cult thing. Yes. Yeah, you're not running a cult show, you're running a relevant Sure. Media, pop culture, you know, and genre show. And thus, the guests that we get for the show, I make very sure that we have very few slots. We have a, we have 10 to 12 slots, depending on how we structure our table for the media. Thus, I only can have 10 to 12 people, so I better make those 12 people count. So when I look at that list, I try to, I try to bring people that will be relevant. And that 
in turn is also so san diego is something as kind of go back to the original question partially san diego it's show floor is so overtaken by the studios and by the media that that's what gives it that feel that people complain and because that's not how we are that's what keeps it to the show that we want to run here's here's the follow-up okay and i don't want you to get yourself in any trouble but this is i just i thought i will sell out in a minute if that's where you're getting to no no, No. not that (laughs) Look, we're all going to sell out in a minute. It's my understanding, having heard stories, not necessarily from you, that the media guests are taxing in terms of how much attention you have to put towards them, their handlers, that whole process. So as a convention organizer, do you find that does it reach a point for you sometimes where you're frustrated because you as a comics fan Mm -hmm. don't get, I mean, we go, I've gone out to Emerald City a couple of times and I go now thinking I might see Jim. It's sure. a possibility I'll see Jim, but he's probably, aside from running this whole show, mm-hmm. he's going to have to run off because so-and-so's handler wants a specific bottle of water. So, or so-and-so is acting like a complete diva or douche. Or and, both. And then, yeah, and then you have to, you're the guy. You're, at the sure. end of the day, holding the bag, and you're responsible for the show. And that's true. Um, to be honest, I think uh, a combination of having been very lucky that we haven't had that situation, but even more so is... I don't run the show by myself. I do. I do a lot, and I'm, it's my full time gig. Is what I do. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like I have a whole team whose job it is to do media. So at the show, it's only if literally kind of something is on fire <laughs> that am I called into the media area. I'll go down and see, make sure everything's going. But I have a guy named Todd who runs that media area, like clockwork. We work so much in advance. So if there's an issue, like he works with the agents. I work with the agents um, to get everyone signed up. But then I turn the agents over to Todd. And Todd is like, okay, does the guest have any food requirements that we should know about? Because we've had a number of vegetarian guests. Do they have anything specific? But because my contract specifically does not include diva shit, when it comes time to people asking if it's a reasonable request, I, I tell Todd, I'm like, use your best judgment. Mm-hmm. If they're just like, man, I'm dying for a Coke and all you have is some water in the green room. Is it possible to get a Coke? That's a reasonable request. Yeah. Okay. I don't even have a good unreasonable request offhand, but it's like, Oh, you know, I only take Mexican black. Goggles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, I only take Mexican glass bottle Coke. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, tough. <laughs> yeah. But if it's reasonable request, I'm like, go do it. That said, I guess the answer is no. I don't. I don't mind it because as long as you you set the ground rules, you're the organizer. You deal with them. They're, we all have contracts. Like this stuff is all legally binding. You have agreed to do A B C D. I have agreed to do A B C D. When you want E, then it's up to our discretion whether we want to do that for you or not within reason. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you told us in advance that you're a vegetarian and thus, you know, or all all you eat all day long is sushi, we can make that happen. Yeah. As long as you let us know. You don't show up two hours before lunch and be like, yeah, as it turns out, I've totally changed my mind. And I want, instead of a steak sandwich, I want, you know, uh, lobster tails. Well, either you can have your steak sandwich or you can just be hungry. 
or go get your own lobster tail. Yeah. You have an hour. Now, to be fair, to be fair, I, I would be willing to bet that there are comic creators who can be just as bad, if not worse, as these hypotheticals we're coming up with. Sure. Who have crazy demands, weird fees, rules about their appearances, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. So I mean, the, 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 it takes all kinds. It, I was going to say it comes in all forms. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that that is very much. So it doesn't become a concern to me, as it were. If you start acting like a complete D-bag, I had one of our guests do that this past year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. Well, you can go home right now. Right. And I'm okay with that. But just so you know, you also have a contract with me. So this is what you'll owe me for leaving. This is what you need to reimburse me for leaving. If you would like to do that, I'm okay with that. We'll put that you have canceled your appearance. We won't air dirty laundry. I won't badmouth you. Right. We'll just be like, due to unfortunate circumstances, X could not. And there's a kill fee and it all gets settled. And it all gets settled. Like settling out of court. Exactly. But he decided that. So it was a man. Oh, damn it. <laughs> he decided to stay. Had a great time. Everything worked out in the end. I will say, having done it twice, shows a lot of fun. You've been very good, at least to me. You let me do my ridiculous panel. Um, Which, by the way, can I just say? Sure. I just had a big meeting with the with Jason, who runs our panels. And he had actual attendance data on panels. And yours was one I'm of, literally nervous right now. Yeah. <laughs> And yours was one of the best attended non-publisher panels of the entire show. Dang. It was awesome. If I'm not mistaken, it was 320 in a room of 550. Christ. And that, that was great. That's amazing. Yeah. It was fun. All right. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to completely wrap up this chunk because I'm going to get back to it later. But we're going to sort of put the, the major businesses of Jim Dimonacos to bed. Okay. And then we're going to talk about Jim Dimonacos, the creative force. <laughs> awesome. After these messages. Take me to the Emerald City, down yellow brick roads, past I run, scarecrow friends will die. There you have it. That's part one. Jim Dimonacos. Let's talk about the Emerald City Comic Con first, since we were just talking about it. I will be there March 30th, 31st, and April 1st. So if you are in the Seattle area, come on by. I'll be at table C4 alongside Chris Giruso, who was my very first guest on this very show. If you're not there, but you want to get in touch with me anyway, you can check the website, leave a comment at stuffsaidshow.com. You can email me at stuffsaid at gmail.com. And uh, I mentioned that contest idea. All right. So here's the con- here's here's how this is going to work. Every show I mention, if you go onto iTunes and leave a review of five stars, it helps the rankings of the show. Again, it's an algorithm I don't understand. But this is how the contest is going to work. Ready? What I want you to do is from now until... Uh, May 1st so starting with the release of this show through May 1st if you go to iTunes click 5 stars and leave a review I will keep track and names will be drawn at random to win something what is that thing? 
most likely it's going to be a piece of original art from me. Hey, I don't know what to write in the comments. Here's a couple of ideas. In fact, I'll, I'll expand this. There's two ways you can, you can win a prize. One, you type in something nice about the show, and then someone you may want to hear. Like somebody you would say, hey, uh, I like the show. It'd be great to hear Greg talk to blank. Fill in the blank, whoever you want. The other way to be part of this is uh, you chime in and say, uh, say something about the show, but this is going to get interesting. Say something you didn't like about the show, right? But say it as if it's a compliment. So, for example, if you think I stutter too much, which I don't think I do, but let's say you think I stutter too much, then you say, love the show, especially when Greg stutters as much as he does, gives the show character, something like that. Basically, I want it to sound positive. That's the idea. Click five stars, write something positive. It could either be a, a an idea of somebody you'd like to hear in the show. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying that's just a way to enter the thing or a, a criticism disguised as a positive. You do that between now, which is uh, mid-March, to May 1st. I will see who does, who leaves comments. I hope many of you do. I will write those names down. I will pull a name. I'll pull two names, two hats, pull names from those hats. You will win something. We will be in touch and figure out how to make that happen. If you are among those who has already left a comment, if you're one of, I think there's 16 up there right now, you're, you're automatically entered into this thing. So you, do, you don't have to, uh, unless you want to. Other than that, you can also listen to the show, not only on iTunes and not only at stuffsaidshow.com, but at the acmewaveprojector.com, or rather just acmewaveprojector.com. And I think that's everything. And if it's not, I'll see you in a bit for part two with Jim Dimonacos. Otherwise, that's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time. La, 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 la.